we're starting a new series on money today, and it's only going to be uh, two weeks. It was supposed to be three weeks, but then we had a whole bunch of people who want to get baptized, praise God. And last week, uh, we did our baptism service, and I'm not going to do a money sermon at a baptism service. I'm not doing that. You're like, hey, family, uh, come see me get baptized and hear the preacher talk about money. Uh, so we're, we cut a week off for now of the money series. We might come back to it. Uh, but I, every time I have to preach on money, and I say have to, I'm always hesitant because I know some of you are first-timers today, and I, I'm so glad you're here. And every time we have guests, uh, I, I always feel like you're thinking, oh, I come to church this one time, and what do you know? They're preaching on money again. They're always talking about money at church. That's all they ever talk about. <laughs> and so the, the reason uh, that we have that mindset is because, for good reason, the church, uh, just broadly speaking, has abused the topic of money repeatedly over and over and over again. And I would say it's, a, it's, it's the topic that's probably turned the most people away from church because of the way pastors have manipulated the Bible and contorted what the Bible says about money uh, into, into ways of bolstering their own greed. And so I promise we're not going to do that uh, today. Okay, I promise we're not going to do that these next couple of weeks. But there's a couple of reasons we have to talk about money as Christians. Well, one of them is it's controlling us. So the little subtitle here is, do you control it or does it control you? We like to think we're in control of our money, but for many of us, and there's no shame, I mean, we're Americans and we're born into this American, very consumeristic society. Uh, we, we become caught up in the consumerism of our culture and uh, we go into debt. I think debt in America is out of control. I don't have the stats here, but they're very high for the tens of thousands of dollars. The average American is in debt. Uh, greed is out of control. Have you noticed that no matter how much stuff you buy, you always want more stuff? No matter how much stuff your neighbor buys, they always want more stuff. It's just, it's, it, it never satisfies us. So there's, if we're really honest, we would say, man, yeah, it does kind of feel like uh, that money controls me. Or at least we could, if we don't want to admit that, we could say money controls our culture. Money controls our, our society. And there's a personal freedom that God wants us to have from money. So we're going to talk about personal freedom. We want to be free from things that enslave us. Money is one of those things. But, and then the second reason is it's really important to talk about in church because there would be no Mosaic church if people weren't giving. It's just straight up. I'm not saying that to be uh, manipulative or heavy-handed. It's just truth. If there were people giving financially, there would be no Mosaic church. We wouldn't have had three baptisms last week. Uh, we, we wouldn't have the community that we have. We wouldn't be making the impact we're having in Grand Rapids if people weren't giving financially. It's just true. And so there's a kingdom freedom that comes as well when we talk about money in a proper biblical way. Uh, when our finances are wrapped up in debt or in greed, uh, it becomes nearly impossible to give towards the kingdom and to allow kingdom fruit to happen with our giving. So there's a couple good reasons for us uh, to talk about money. Uh, like I said, the church, it has abused the topic of money. The church has manipulated the topic of money. And you may have been around churches like this. And if you have and you want to talk to me this week, you want to get coffee and dive into scripture more, I'm happy to do so. But if you've ever heard uh, uh, the, the teaching, sow a seed of faith, uh, if you, you give money, you're going to sow your seed of faith, God is going to bless you. So you give this money to the church, God's going to make you rich, basically. That's kind of the promise that's given. And it's a very, 
it's out of context. So we take Bible verses and we kind of make them say what we want to benefit us. And it's a backwards application. So when we give in the Bible, it's about giving to God and his purposes and towards other people, to help other people. If I tell you, hey, if you give, you'll be rich, who are you giving for? You're giving for yourself. It's not even, you're not even thinking about giving in that sense. So even the heart of that type of giving is, is very backwards to what God actually wants for us. But you can see why that teaching would be wildly popular, right? If, 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 if you can get rich by giving, well, you're going to give. And I'm going to get rich by you giving, so I'm going to teach you to give so you can get rich because I want to get rich off of your giving. So you can see why for the, the preacher and the listener, that, is, that has been such a popular, uh, popular teaching for such a, such a very long time. And I'm going to say this, and then I'll move on, I promise. But the greed and the corruption of those wealthy preachers, and, and who, who, who are particularly wealthy preachers who are preaching, sometimes these are TV preachers, you can also have it in the local church, but are, who are taking advantage of the poor, who are going to the poor and they're saying, you need to give to me so that you'll be rich, only so that they can get richer. There's no cap to how much they make or how much they make is so astronomical. You, you have a, 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 a leader, a faith leader, using their position of authority to uh, manipulate money out of the poor. And that is a sin that God hates. That is a sin that God hates. Uh, I actually forgot to mention it on our slide earlier with the small groups, but we are also now, as of this week, providing daily devotionals for you. So we want you reading your Bible. There's a lot of Bible uh, out there about the stuff we preach on that we just cannot get to on a Sunday. Reading your Bible every day is a very important spiritual practice to growing in your faith. And so day one of our devotional for this week, it talks about a king in the Old Testament that did this exact thing that I'm just talking about and how much, how much God hates it. And so, uh, just a quick, uh, quick shout out to our devos because I we, uh, we'll, we'll get those into our announcements in a future week. Uh, but you can find those on our church app as well as on our website if you go to the small group section. And so, uh, if you if you're not up to date on our emails and our texting and all that, turn in a connection card and you will be. But we want you reading your Bible and we want you coming to small group so you can talk about this stuff and go deeper and deeper and deeper with it. And so you know that when I share this stuff, it's, it's very much uh, in Scripture. Now, one last thing about, about what I find erotic about this teaching. Um, these preachers, they're not saying, hey, if you give, sow your seed of faith to the rescue mission, and then God will make you, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll bless you. Hey, sow your seed of faith to world vision, and then God will bless you. I think if they did that, I'd be a little, be a better, a little better with it. But um, they're, they're saying, sow your seed of faith to my ministry where, where what I make has no limit, and then God will bless you. Okay, so um, it's really important that we talk about uh, some of the ways that the church has manipulated the topic of money before we dive into what is God's intent in Scripture about money. And I kind of summed it up. There's, there's actually 2,300 verses I, um, give, give or take, about money and possessions in the Bible. So let me say that again. There's over 2,300 Bible verses about money and possessions. That's a whole lot. So start thinking about why there might be that many. And if you look at them kind of as a whole, you see these themes. Don't be greedy. Be responsible with your money and be generous. Use your money to build up the church and to help the oppressed. 
Uh, let me say this too. Wealth isn't bad. The scriptures don't say that wealth is bad. Being rich isn't bad. Uh, but it can easily become bad or a sin when it stops you from being generous, particularly towards the church and to the poor, when its pursuit gets you into debt, and when your stuff owns you. When you're not owning your stuff, but, but it's owning you. Okay? And so Jesus talks about a lot of types of sacrificial giving that would help us free us from the power of our stuff owning us. So here's what I think God's intention is throughout Scripture, and here is what I think American capitalism's intention with your money is. I know as soon as I put the word capitalism up there, it makes people nervous. Okay, I'm not saying we need to swap out capitalism. It kind of is what it is. It's what we're stuck with. Uh, We can have debates about it, about the, the pros and cons of it, but let's just be real. There's some significant cons to it. And it's the culture that we're born into as Americans. And as Christians, we need to be aware of its dangers, right? It's just like anything else. There's dangers. We need to be aware of them. And it's different than the Bible. And we need to be aware of where it gets off uh, from Scripture. And here's what I've observed uh, about our American capitalistic culture. Pile up as much wealth as you can and never stop. Do you, you hear that? Do you resonate with that? Use all of your wealth for yourself and your kids and, and grandkids. Like, that's, that's what you do with your wealth. You use it for yourself and your kids and your grandkids. And then number three, there's this hidden message within American capitalism. The oppressed, they did that to themselves. Don't let that bog you down. That's not your responsibility. You're an individual. Care for yourself. And, and don't worry about the poor and the oppressed. And within this type of mindset about money— Greed has no definition to it. So we know greed is a sin. If I asked you all, is greed a sin? You'd say yes. And then if I asked you, hey, in your groups, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, hey, in your groups, discuss the definition of greed. You wouldn't be able to do it. It's, it's like a slippery fish that keeps slipping out of your hand because you think greed is just somebody richer than you. That's what you think greed is. Nobody is going to say, I am the definition of greed. Nobody will say that. So we never really talk about it. And so we have a whole culture of people, myself included, addicted to greed. And this is a problem. It's a problem in the church. It's a problem in our culture. And, and, and a lot of those 2,300 verses, they, they deal with how to, how to short-circuit greed, how to short-circuit it. So in a way, we can say, hey, we're all affected by this. Then we can all work together without shame on a solution of, of having those, of finding the freedom that we're talking about. So real quick, here's a fun stat. Uh, this is a Purdue study, 2018, and they did a study uh, of each state and in Michigan based on cost of living and things like that. Uh, they came up with the minimum salary needed to be happy. It's around $95,000. And they have some, some other uh, kind of stats there about our, high, uh, our in- unemployment things. But then it says the emotional well-being uh, can be had for as little as $54,000 in a salary. I don't know the difference between emotional well-being and happiness, uh, but this is some kind of survey that they did. Now, uh, the idea of a survey like this is that there is a certain level of financial income that a person needs, and it certainly is debated. I don't think money is going to make you happy, by the way. Uh, that, that word is not the word I would use. But I know that in these surveys, what they're, what they're talking about is if you have food instability in your home, If you don't know where your food's coming from, you will have a low emotional well-being. If you don't know where you're going to live next month, 
you have a low emotional well-being, right? If, if there, there's certain types of, of things that a stable financial base uh, can give us, including our own health, right? If you have access to good medical care, there is a level of quote-unquote happiness, emotional well-being that you're going to have. Now, what's really interesting is in 2010, Princeton did a similar study as this. So, you know, these numbers are going to change with inflation and all that kind of stuff. But they came up with $75,000 as the cap for the, the, the income for sort of life satisfaction. And I don't care about the numbers. That's not the point. I know when you hear these numbers, some of you go, that's way more than I will ever make. Uh, that's way more than I make. I guess I don't have a shot at being happy. Some of you make more than that. And, and, and again, it's not about the numbers. The point I want to show in this as we talk about the idea of greed is, let's say if you needed $75,000 to be happy. If you made $150,000, then what should you be? Twice as happy, right? Does anybody that makes $150,000 twice as happy as the person who makes 75000 because of what they make. And if you made $300,000, you should be twice as happy as the person who made 150000 who should be twice as happy as the one who makes 75000 That's what we think when we go and buy more and more stuff that we don't need. The study is basically showing, look, there's a level of stuff that you need, right, that you need to live, okay? But there's also a point when you have enough stuff, it's easier to see when it's your neighbor doing it. It's a lot harder to see when it's you doing it. When you see somebody who just keep, maybe you have a family member, and they just keep buying more and more and more stuff, and you go, that stuff is not going to make them happy. But we, d despite what even secular research has found, that you don't need more and more money, to make yourself content with life, we still have bought in to that principle. All right, so a couple of discussion questions. We're going to turn you back onto your, your groups, and then we're going to dive into more scripture uh, after that. Where did you learn about money? These are meant to be non-threatening questions, so please don't make them threatening, <laughs> okay? Money is very personal, uh, and, and we're not asking you to talk about your personal finances or anything like that. Just where did you learn about money? Did you learn about it in church? Did you learn about it at school? Did you learn about it from your parents? What were good places you learned about money? What were bad places you learned about money? Um, and then why do you think money and possessions are mentioned over 2,300 times in the Bible? You don't have to be a Christian to answer that, that question. There's no wrong answer to it. Uh, that's a lot of times for the Bible to talk about money and possessions. So see what you can do in the next uh, it's either five or six minutes on our timer, and then uh, we'll, I'll be back. All right, hope you had a good discussion time. So I'm going to start with talking about what a tithe is. Um, again, it's not the most, you know, lively topic in the world, uh, but if you grew up in church at all, or even if you didn't, you've probably heard the word tithing, tithe. What does that even mean? You're going to hear different pastors talk about tithing in different ways, and that's okay. Uh, but let me just explain what a tithe is. A tithe is just a Hebrew uh, word that means tenth. It's literally the same thing as tenth. So when you see a tithe of everything from the land, it's a tenth of everything from the land. I remember back in the Old Testament, this is Old Covenant. This is the law. 
they had maybe some money, maybe, back then. I don't know. That's Iron Age. They probably didn't have coins. This was, this was your stuff. This was your, your, your grain that you grew. These were your animals, your livestock. This is what they lived on. There may have been some gold and things like that. But uh, a tithe of everything from the land, it, just, it does kind of put it in a different mindset. It's not just what's in my bank account. It's everything. It's everything that I have. It just gives a little bit holistic, more of an idea of, of what giving kind of could even look like. But, okay, let's read the passage, and then I'll explain it a little bit. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Uh, whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. Leviticus 27, 30 to 32. There's a lot of passages I could have picked in the law about tithing. But the basic idea was the ancient Israelites, Old Testament people, they were to give 10% of their stuff to God. How did that work? They gave it to the Levites at the temple and or the tabernacle, depending on the, the period of history. And what did that stuff go to? It's how the priests lived. So everybody had their own land and animals, except for the priests. The priests ran the temple or the tabernacle. They didn't have their own land uh, to grow food off of or animals. So the people supported the priests in that way. And then it also went to the poor. Those are the two people that, um, the, two, the two places, I should say, that this giving uh, went to. You, see, you do see that repeated in the New Testament when Jesus talks about giving, when Paul talks about giving. Uh, he talks about pastors being paid. He talks about much, is talked about the poor, uh, money going to the poor, helping those in a fa- There was a large famine and, and collections were gathered for them. And, and you better believe that that's going to be true at Mosaic as well. What I mean is uh, we are a church that values equity and we're a church that understands oppression and poverty and understands that it's part of the role of the church to bring that equity and to care for anyone who's struggling. And so I want to say that right here in this sermon, and we've said it before, if you ever have a physical need, and you come talk to us, come talk to me, come talk to our leadership team. And at this point in our church, we're able to just have a conversation with you and figure out what's going on and how we can help you get from where you are to that, out of that crisis mode, out of that crisis mode. And we've done that. We do that financially and we've done that financially and we will continue to do that financially. Uh, a few things about tithe. And so, for some of you, you're brand new to church. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Others are total Bible nerds and you've got all your like, you know, commentaries out about tithing. Uh, one interesting thing is, for those that say tithing is this like hard 10% practice, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, scholars have identified throughout the Old Testament of the many, it's, you know, there's 2,300 of these, so they picked a lot to choose from, um, that the average Jew in the Old Testament, the average Israelite, they would have actually given around 22.5% of their stuff to God. So tithe was a part of their giving, but the whole giving was 22.5%. So uh, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, we're going to fast forward to the New Testament now, where this is Jesus speaking. This is the New Covenant. We talked a lot about the Old Covenant versus the New in our last series. And Jesus is speaking to Israelite leaders, the teachers of law and Pharisees. They were, they were the, the, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And he is not happy with them. So woe to you. He's got a whole list of woes. He's not happy with them in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth, a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, uh, but you have 
neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This is the one time in the New Testament that the actual practice of tithing is mentioned. And Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, you should keep tithing. You should keep doing it. But he says, you know what's way more important than your tithe? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he says, if you think that by tithing, you can get away from doing justice, mercy, and faithfulness, you're a hypocrite. Think about that for a second. How many American Christians, you know, it's great to tithe. Okay, we're talking about that. You know, we're going to talk about kind of, I, honestly, my pastoral interpretation of giving and tithing in the New Testament, right? And there's different views on this because some think we, we, we follow more of the old covenant. Some think we follow more of the new covenant. Okay, Get just, I'm already, you're already like, what is this guy talking about? Uh, but my point is, how many think they can give to the church, give to God, and then go, well, I don't have to care about justice anymore. I don't have to care about mercy anymore. I did my part. It's almost like tithing gets you off the hook of obeying God <laughs> in any way. And you might think that in other ways. I'm tithing, so now I can go have this sin, sinful you know, life over here. And, and God, Jesus is very clearly saying, that's hypocrisy. Your tithing doesn't doesn't buy you anything. It doesn't buy you favor with God. It's really important uh, that, that we keep that in mind when it comes to our, our motives for, for tithing. All right, this is another New Testament passage about giving. And again, there's 2,300 of these. And so uh, I, I wasn't able to land on just one for this sermon. Um, but here, Paul, in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. So he's writing to the church now, and he says, Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Jesus told the Jewish leaders, you should keep tithing. Paul tells the churches, Galatian churches, he doesn't use the word tithe. Okay, so that, that we need to remember that. It's a, you have to give 10%. I don't know, Paul didn't tell them to give 10%. But he, he did tell them something very similar. He did tell them something very similar. You'll see a pattern here. And what I, what I note about this is there is a discipline to this type of giving. There is a percentage to this type of giving. So there's a discipline giving means you pull out a piece of paper or a calculator and you say, here's how much I make. Here's how much I'm going to give. That, that's a, a biblical principle of giving. Um, that's different than what you might call tipping, and tipping is, um, oh, that was a good sermon today. I'm going to put in a 20, <laughs> you know. Oh, not such a good sermon, just a fiver today, you know. Like this idea that, that like, well, we don't, let's just kind of, we'll just flow with it. We'll roll with it. Whatever I feel like today, I'll kind of throw in a little tip to God. Uh, this is a very different type of giving uh, that's commanded to the church in, in the New Testament. And the, 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 um, the first day of every week, scholars believe that he's referring to when they gathered for church. Because they had, at this point, begun gathering for church on Sundays instead of on Saturdays. And so he's essentially talking about there's going to be a collection at church. Here's what you should do. You know, this sort of thing. Um, you, what, what, what's helpful here is we see in this pattern, you have the money that you have to live on, and then you have the money that you give 
back to God. There's a set of, setting aside of a sum of money that you're going to save up and you're going to give back to God as a regular habit and as a regular practice. Now, this is part of spiritual maturity. We don't like to talk about it, but it's really, really important for the reasons we talked about. If you don't talk about it, people fall headlong into debt. People fall headlong into um, not being able to be generous, not being able to help somebody else because there wasn't this practice that was made. And the church suffers, like we talked about, the kingdom peace. I want to say one more thing before we jump it, uh, keep going in. Um, just so you know, if you're new to church, my salary doesn't change based on what you give. So there's no, there's no hidden motive here. If we have a big offering today, guess what, Jen? We're going yeah, to have vacation next weekend. That's not how a healthy church budget works. We have an annual budget, and we determine what we think. Uh, based on previous giving, our budget will be, and we, we, we organize our staff salaries in that way. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. Uh, but that's an important principle because not all churches are run that way, and uh, that's, that's, not a, that's not a healthy pattern. All right, here's some boring stuff for you. Uh, we don't have church membership yet, so we don't have a space to do this, so we're, we're doing it here. Uh, just, for, just for today, just for this one sermon. Uh, I've never done this before. I won't do it again until next year. Talk more when we talk about money again. All right, so uh, our budget for this year is $144,000. That seems like a ton of money, right? It seems like it's a ton of money to me. Um, not all of that by any means goes to staff. Not all of it by any means goes to me. Did you know that we actually have eight people on staff at Mosaic? Praise God, right? That's so awesome. Praise God, right? Praise God. Um, and, you know, everybody's part-time. Uh, I am by far the most, I would say, uh, close to a full-time salary, but even I choose to be partially part-time. And so uh, my hope is that my, my even, my hope is that my, what I make here can decrease uh, over time so that we can just, I, I, I really believe in team ministry. I don't, I, be, I don't believe you should just really load up one staff person with salary and responsibility. <laughs> it's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for the church. So we have a really effective team and, um, but what else do we do with that money? We do have a budget if you want to see it. Like I said, we don't have a membership yet, but we have it. It's available. We are happy to, sh to share it with you of how we budgeted this year based on last year's uh, spending. But we help a lot of people with this money. We do a lot of kingdom ministry with this money. And without it, there would be no staff and there would be no Mosaic Church. So the first thing, I, and then what you'll see here is our 22 giving from Mosaic was $62,000. Now, we are a church plant. I think everybody knows that. We started in April of last year. Our one-year birthday is coming up in a couple of months. That's crazy. A year ago today was, that, was our, our first preview service. So remember the George Moss concert and then the preview service? That was a year ago. That's crazy. That's so cool what God has done, right, in a year. Um, so I want to—so— the giving from 2022 is incredible. This is the giving that came in from Mosaic Church, from attenders of Mosaic Church, uh, $62,000. I want to thank you for giving. I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate. Can we celebrate that? We can say thank you to God and thank you to those of you that have given. It's incredible. And the way a church plant works is the planter, I, raise the rest of the money from outside. And so we have a denomination, Evangelical Covenant, that supports us generously. There's churches that support us generously, and there's many individuals, friends and family of mine, that support us generously on a monthly basis. I want to celebrate that. That's where, that's where the rest of our budget came from for last year. Can we celebrate that? 
I want to thank those, maybe anybody watching on YouTube or wherever it might be that have supported us from outside of Mosaic. It means people believe in us. It means they want to invest in us. And, and, you know, statistics have their strengths and weaknesses, but I think we can celebrate statistics. We need more things to celebrate in life, okay? All right, we've had nine people baptized in the last year here at Mosaic. That is awesome. That is awesome. On, on your connection card, you'll see there's a little box, and it says something like, I want to start a new relationship with Jesus. This is the box that you would check uh, to receive salvation, to begin a conversation about accepting Christ as your Savior. We've had 17 people make that decision on their connection card or in other ways since we started Mosaic Church. That is incredible. That is incredible. This last summer, we shared the gospel with over 200 kids and teenagers between the Grand Rapids Fire small groups and the Garfield Park Summer Lights. Over 200 kids and teens heard the gospel, guys. That is incredible. Of those 200, two already got baptized here at Mosaic before they went off to college. And I'm telling you, I volunteer every week here at the Boys and Girls Club, and the kids can't wait for summer lights. I don't, can't tell you how many times a kid comes up to me in the middle of winter, and he says, hey, does that park thing start soon? And I'm like, yeah, it starts in, in June. One kid even said, when is that? <laughs> it's not for a while. But they're super excited. They can't wait for summer lights to start again. And that's how the gospel works. Over a long period of time of saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not just here and that I'm out. I'm here for a relationship. I'm here because I love you. And God slowly starts softening hearts of both kids and adults to receive the gospel and to join a church. And so praise God for the ministry that has been done in the last year. Now, uh, I, I, want, I want to very specifically thank those who have given, and I especially want to thank those that have given via our monthly recurring giving. Now, I'm just speaking to family here, okay? This is not a telethon. Uh, this isn't anything like that. I'm being real with you. We're a church plant. We're doing great. And if you see those numbers, in two years, the goal is uh, to be fully able to support our own budget. So when I raise support and when our denomination gives us support, it is for three years. It's a three-year launch pad. Get off the ground in three years, and in three years, within the membership and attenders of Mosaic Church, to be able to financially support our own budget. So you can see we have a little bit of work to do. But you can also see it's very doable, right? If in two years we have the amount of people we have and the giving we have, I'm sorry, in one year we have that, in two years at the growth rate we're on, we're going to be just fine. As long as we keep being diligent in prayer and in faithfulness that God would grow our church and that God would do the act of spiritual maturity in the individuals of our church to say, you know what, I can be one of those people that takes a step of giving towards us. I'm starting to understand more about giving and how it relates to my church involvement and my spiritual maturity. So many of you have given monthly recurring gifts, and I want to tell you that that is what our budget is based on. That's what our budget's based on, okay? So thank you to those of you that have done that. For those of you that haven't, it is okay. We're all in different places, and that's what's beautiful about the church. We're all in different places, and somebody else is able to do what you may not be able to do right now, and that is totally okay. There's no, there's no shame in that uh, whatsoever. God is going to do his work, uh, but I, I have to today uh, give you a challenge that as you pray about seeing Mosaic 
sustainable to become a regular giver at Mosaic, to go beyond tipping and to become a regular giver at Mosaic. And there's those watching online. I'm pointing to our camera right now. Hello, YouTube viewers. Uh, some are local, some are around the country. Um, if you're local, we'd love for you to be here in person next Sunday and to be a part of our in-person community. But even for you that are watching online and, and participating in that way, we have our giving link here, and we can put that right up on the screen during, during our YouTube uh, view. And go and give, go and give. And on that giving link, You'll find that link on your, uh, your table. Section leaders, could you just grab a giving card and give it to everybody? We don't normally do this, uh, but that would be helpful. And if you don't want it, it's okay. Just leave it on your chair. Underneath all the connection cards, there's giving cards. And I just want you this one Sunday to have this. We're not, we don't do this every week, but if you want to give in a regular way, go to our website and you can set up a, a recurring gift to Mosaic. And uh, it is the way that we have been able to do what we've done in ministry uh, up to this point. And so, um, again, thank you to those who have given. I'm really happy with where we are. I'm really excited about where we are. Uh, it's a little scary at times, but that's what faith is, right? Amen? If it was, if it was all already done for us, it wouldn't, we wouldn't need to depend on God. And that's for me as a pastor to say, God, we got to depend on you. And it's for us as individuals. Whenever we give, we're saying, okay, God, I sure could use this, but I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to depend on you. And um, I got a couple practical things before, uh, before I wrap up. Okay, here's one. I, I know it could, you could, when I talk about giving a percentage of your money, that could be, like I said, the Old Testament tithe was 10%. I can tell you I've always given 10%. I was in third grade and had a paper out. I was giving 10%. I was raised to give 10%. Um, I, I want to challenge you to give a percentage, a percentage of your income to figure it out. Maybe you can do 10. Maybe you can do more than 10. Maybe you can do less than 10. But to stop tipping and to figure out an exact amount, an exact percentage you can give each, each month. Now you might say, I can't. I can't do that, pastor. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Well, this list here tells me that you can. Uh, this list tells me that you can. I know it feels like an impossible task, but I'm challenging you to shift your paradigm of your priorities. Now, uh, on the left here, I came up with all of the subscriptions I could think of, and there's many more out there that would hit you on a monthly basis that might be nice to have, but that you don't need, okay? These aren't bad things to have, but these are for, I want you to think if you're saying, I can't give regularly, I can't tithe regularly, but I can have these things, I want you to think about that. Uh, over on the, the right, I have a list of just some or more subscriptions. Uh, some are things, um, I, I, I sometimes try to do the mental math on how much money it costs um, for those that go out to eat all the time. If, if, if you're a person who's like, I can't pack my lunch to work, I just feel poor. I feel like I have the middle of the I, just, I, I have to go out to eat. I have to go out. To, I always have to have my Chick-fil-A or my, you know, yeah, I know. I'm going there. I'm going there. I'm going there. You know, and it's not bad to do that. But if you're saying I can't give, I can't give uh, generously. I can't help others generously. I can't give to my church generously. But I have to go out to lunch every week at church or at my workplace. That's something you need to think about. And, and, and next week, we're going to talk about in our sermon 
for those of us that struggle with that, I always have to have the nicest clothes, the nicest shoes, the nicest car. I always have to be going out to eat, being, look like I've got it all together. Why is that? What is inside of us that's, that's empty that we're trying to fill up with this stuff if that stuff is what's preventing us from being free to be able to give generously? There's, and, and again, some of these things on here, I mean, gambling lottery, cigarettes, marijuana, alcohol, these are things that we are addicted to and they eat up massive amounts of our monthly. Our, and, and, and to be totally honest with you, um, what's, what's sad is when, when you, if, if somebody's really in poverty, destitute poverty, and you can just see this culturally, you see it in poor neighborhoods, uh, people are taking advantage of poor people by putting liquor stores on the corner to where the drug dealers are hanging out because people are, are looking for hope. They're looking for hope and they're looking to numb out and they're looking to numb out. And so we go to this stuff to numb out and it just puts us further into chains. And so let me just say, you don't need to numb out because Jesus loves you. He loves you and Mosaic Church loves you and, and we are here for you and we love you. And some of these things on this list, when you're filled up with Jesus and you're filled up with community, you have people helping you, they can be eliminated. And often these are the things that are also preventing us from being able to give. Uh, a friend of mine, um, Rob, always used to say this. I don't know if it came from someone else, so I'm just loosely attributing it to Rob. He says, you can't always control how much you make, but you can always control how much you spend. Okay? And I really believe that's true. Um, I think the enemies, when it comes to our personal finances, are debt and interest, okay? And I'm out of time, and so I got to try to land this plane and get LaRonda back up here. Uh, I'm going to do this real fast. This is a very sloppy uh, guide to budgeting. And I throw this up here to say, if you have no control over your budget and you'd like a personal budgeting meeting, council, just let us know. And one of us would be happy to do that with you. Put it on your connection card. We have people trained in budget counseling. We have people that know what they're talking about when it comes to financial uh, disciplines. We'd love to help you. But, but the idea of first fruits, I think my next slide here, when the Bible would talk about giving, it's an Old Testament. It was honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. There was a gift called the first fruits gift. And it was before anything's eaten, before anything's used up, before anything's traded, we give the best of our crop to God. And that's really still true for biblical giving. You give God his first and trust him to take care of the rest. You'll see my, my very quick uh, list here. Next, pay off your debt, stop going in the debt, mortgage or rent, food, buy your groceries versus going out to eat all the time, medical, utilities, savings in retirement, how about extra giving? We, I'd love to be able to do that. Outside of your church, giving to people in need, helping those that you're your friends. And then nine, fun. Go have fun. Go have fun. Enjoy money. Enjoy life. But what normally happens? Where does number nine normally live? Come on. Number one. At the top. <laughs> and let's be honest, that's really not that fun, is it? It's really not that fun when one through eight are, are, are not being met, it's really not that fun. So this is really important. And we just want you to know you're not alone and we're here for you to help you. And maybe this is all you need to see. 
just, okay, I got this. It makes more sense to me now. Um, I have one last scripture for us uh, to, uh, in worship team, you guys can, you guys can come on up. Um, and the, the, the principle here that Paul's giving is he's talking to actually to poor churches and he's trying to get them to give to help for a famine in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the mother church. They were like the mega church. That's where it all started. They had all the money and resources, but there was a famine in Jerusalem. They had people didn't have enough to eat. So he's going to the poor Galatian churches and he's saying, will you give to help the Jerusalem church and their famine? You can imagine that you would think, I'm already poor if I give, and literally they're giving like grain. They're, they're giving food. They're giving their livelihood uh, to those that have less than them. There's a fear that they can outgive what they need for themselves. And I know that's a fear. So my challenge for you as I close is to consider starting to give a percentage of your giving as a recurring gift. And if you're already giving a percentage as a recurring gift, to consider taking another step of sacrifice. To say, could I sacrifice a little bit more and see how God not to be, the, the, the goal here wasn't to be rich. They were a poor church. They stayed a poor church. But God was saying, you're not going to go hungry. I'm going to provide for you. You're not going to go hungry. I'm going to provide for you. So let me read this, and then we're going to move into a time of communion together. Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God.